Hey, Lifebridge, we're back recording a final conversation. We've done a series of conversations on the topic of wisdom and how can we gain wisdom and what keeps us from wisdom, specifically looking at what, um, what we've, how we view and how we interact with our world, um, culture, politics, etc. What's God's will for our engagement with those things? And so we talked about theology. We talked about tribalism, Christian nationalism. We talked about um, what we call bad faith discovery. We talked about uh, influence and where we place our influence in an episode we call the influence racket. And then we talked about defensiveness and entrenchment, which is basically the idea that you operate from the assumption that you're right and you defend your position kind of at all costs. All of those things are, are things that, that detract from wisdom. Uh, and the last one we're talking about today is uh, fear. Yeah, so the game plan is to talk through fear a little bit and then how fear keeps us from wisdom and how fear kind of leaves us more vulnerable to believing lies. Fear is a big topic and it, to be honest, it kind of annoys me sometimes when you're uh, talking with somebody or you hear a conversation or an interview and somebody just says, oh, that's a fear-based argument and that's like the mic drop and end all argument for the conversation. And it's like, yeah, but like you're, you're also afraid of something. Right. And if you pick apart what they're saying in the conversation, you, you'll find what they're actually afraid of. And it's not just like one side in a conversation is fearful and the other side isn't. We all have fears. Right. I think it's more helpful for us to break it down as healthy and unhealthy fears and like healthy and unhealthy responses to fear. Um, simple, simple, silly examples, right? Like uh, when my kids were toddlers and they were just learning how to walk, I was afraid they would fall down the stairs. So... A healthy response, I think, is to put up a gate in front of the stairs so they can't fall down the stairs. Close the door to the basement stairs so they don't go down the stairs. Unhealthy response is like, don't let your kids walk or like try to keep them from walking so that they don't navigate over to there. Put an elevator or in your house. Put an elevator in your house. Yeah. So there's healthy, there's unhealthy responses to fear. We all have fear. It's what do we do in response to that natural reaction to fear. Even what you've already said, I think there's a little bit of a hang up for some Christians because we know what the Bible says about fear right. in the sense that we're not supposed to, you know, do not be anxious about anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but with prayer and petition, present your requests to God. There's other, there's other passages in there. The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The idea there is that um, there's also passages about fearing the Lord. Yeah. The idea is that we should fear the Lord mm-hmm. and trust in the Lord. And then we shouldn't be afraid of other things and we shouldn't live our life in constant anxiety of what could happen tomorrow, et cetera, right? Exactly. Totally true. Um, but I think sometimes as Christians, we do this thing where we where we say, oh, well, the Bible says I'm not supposed to be afraid, so I'm not afraid. Mm-hmm. But if you are afraid, you're still afraid. And by failing to acknowledge that and be honest with yourself, you're actually not able to work on it right. in the way that you could. You can't correct for it, right? In God's kingdom someday, we won't be afraid. There will be nothing to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. But right now, we still all do have fears because we're not perfect and we live in a sinful world, right? and we know the realities of that world, and so those fears still do exist. Mm-hmm. And we eagerly await a day when they won't, um, but for now they do, and it doesn't really help anything to just pretend they don't and say, I'm not afraid of anything. I got the Lord on my side. Like, look, you're afraid of something. I'm afraid of something. You know, Let's just be honest about it and move forward from there. To be preachy about it, uh, the, the preachy statement is, when fear creeps up, we, we counter our fear with faith, right? Right. So we all have fear. It's a natural reaction. And you brought up about like fear of the Lord. That's a concept that trips up a lot of Christians and a lot of people today. And it is kind of a big, tricky concept. There's a lot to it, right? 
Bible tells us like perfect love casts out fear. Um, tells us God did not give us a spirit of fear. Um, there's, there's a lot in scripture about us not fearing, um, but we should also fear the Lord. So what's, what's the balance there? Like there's a, there's a, uh, I think the good examples is when we look at Isaiah and John, when they're brought into the presence of God, um, there's a healthy fear there in both instances, they fall down on their face. They're like completely blown away. Isaiah says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Right. And they're completely taken aback because the sight of God is so magnificent. It's so beautiful uh, in his presence is just so overwhelming that it elicits a response of fear. Uh, it's like when an angel appears to anybody in scripture, they are afraid. And the angel's first response is uh, at least maybe always, but almost always I'll say, um, don't be afraid, right? Because like seeing a, a heavenly being who's in the presence of God is just so magnificent and glorious that it elicits a response of fear. Uh, so in some sense, we should fear God, and that should drive us to holiness. This like awe, reverence, fear of God and who he is. Um, but in another sense, then when we know God and we're in, when we encounter the divine presence in some capacity and our response is fear, God always fills us with a sense of faith and trust because we know that he is our loving father, and so we shouldn't necessarily remain in that fear. You and I were both raised in the church, and I think, and this isn't just to, um, about Christians. This is any parents. Are, wh- the way parents raise their kids factors in the fears that you have. So we all we kind of make these trade-offs of what we're going to be afraid of and what we're not going to be afraid of. When we're raised in the faith and our parents' fears are built into how we're raised, um, our parents' fears can also get built into um, what we think faith is growing up. So to be a Christian is, on some level, when you're a kid, in your mind, it's it's modeled to you and taught to you by your parents and, and your community and the people that you look up to. And if there's specific fears there that they're um, that they're trying to hedge against, right? That's going to come through in the way their faith looks and is lived out. Mm-hmm. So if you if you grow up in a setting where people are really afraid of the outside world, that's going to get built into what you think it means to be a Christian. Fear, which in a lot of cases can turn into kind of like a disdain for the outside world, or, or if your fear is about you don't want your kids to miss out on any of the good things in life, you want them to have every experience they could have ever wanted, um, your kid might grow up thinking that that's what God wants for them too. Your kid might grow up thinking, sort of doing this experience chasing thing um, and connecting their faith to that as well. And, and so our fears and our insecurities and our anxieties, we do pass those on to our kids, and we, we don't want to, but we do. And that's part of the faith expression they're taught and is modeled for them as well. And we all have those. I think uh, we have to recognize that we have those so that we can, we can, as I said before, in the preachy sense, counter those fears with faith and, and trust God in those areas where we are afraid. Um, Because the counter is also true. Like you can be afraid of being rejected by the culture. And so that leads you to accepting everything from the culture instead of, uh, instead of filtering it through the biblical lens or even fil- not just right and wrong, but filtering it through a lens that says like, this is healthy or this is good for me, me and my soul, or this is not good for me and my soul. We can just end up accepting everything because we're afraid of being accepted or not being accepted by the culture. Fear of, um, fear of failure is another huge one, right? That right. we hear about all the time. And if we're afraid of our kids failing, especially we, we can push them and drive them to succeed in something and end up kind of alienating or, or failing to love them for who they 
are. So the, in the kids and parent relationship, I think we see that pretty clearly. I think a lot of kids grew up in maybe like a youth group culture where there was a lot of um, a lot of value placed in kind of being a world changer, right? And so I think for a lot of people um, who have grown up in the faith, there's a real fear of insignificance mm-hmm. that what well, I'm going to waste my life, I'm not going to use it for God, right. Right? right? I have conversations with people where they're like, you know, there's like this striving that's happening, or there's this constant guilt and shame. They're like, man, I haven't done anything for God, and um, Sky Jutani in his book With spends a lot of time on this this same idea, um, which is a great book if you haven't it's read it, book. but it's just the, the idea that God doesn't desire for us uh, a life of significance. He desires for us a life with him, mm-hmm. um, walking in his presence, being led by his spirit, and uh, and faithfully living living that life. And for some people, a faithful life will, will lead to some significance uh, in the eyes of the world, and, and for others, it won't at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not what God, it's just not what God desires for us necessarily. Right. And so, so that's just another example that, that it's fear. It's fear of insignificance. Mm-hmm. And we're like, I got, I'm going to disappoint God and I'm going to disappoint my parents or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's the root of so much, um, in our lives is fear. And, uh, it is, it is an area where, where when fear is baked into our faith expression, it, it opens us up to bad interpretations mm-hmm. It opens us up to be um, very susceptible to specific kinds of lies and misinformation yeah. and, and things like that. And it opens us to us up to kind of undo loyalty to uh, one group or another. And John Fia, he talks about this a lot and how politicians have used fear to court evangelicals basically since the beginning of uh, America mm-hmm. and our country's founding. So... And in, in, in one sense, like we see how this happened in the political sphere where evangelicals became married to the Republican Party in, in large numbers because of a fear of communism. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a legitimate fear, right? I, I didn't, we didn't live through the Cold War, you and I. We weren't, um, we weren't paying attention to what was happening there in real time. So looking back, we see obviously, you know, uh, we're not communist. Here in America, so in that sense, we won, right? And that was good, right? And that's a good thing. But living through that time, you see how how big of a fear that must have been that um, communist communism would creep into the American culture. And so, um, politicians who are really smart, really good at their job, uh, in order to get votes, created a sense of fear to court uh, the evangelical. And there's the term Cold War Christianity, which I don't even know who coined it. Um, the idea with, with Cold War Christianity is, is that idea of, of, of that evangelical movement that happened and when we were kids um, and, and even before we were born. Um, there was real fear of communism, like you said, and that fear is sort of gone now, but that culture of fear and um, of fear-based manipulation, of extreme mistrust for certain the Democratic Party, but also certain government institutions and things like that. That's still um, that's still sort of in the DNA of the evangelical church in America, and um, it's sort of a two sided coin because on one hand, not all of that mistrust is unfounded. Right. I mean, the young people, uh, millennials and uh, zillennials, whatever they call what it comes after us, um, we have an, an extreme mistrust of institutions big things people our age don't think that big things they must have done something right they think they must have done something wrong to get that big so whether it's big business government big pharma 
uh, big tech, fill in the blank. There's not a lot of trust. Um, and we, because of the information age, we have enough information in certain situations to know that we shouldn't always be trusting of those institutions. But what happens is uh, that fear, um, that fear is kind of the hook that can lead us to believing things that are, are just way, way, way outside God's will. So it starts with something that's at least, at least somewhat true, right? So mistrust of the government, for instance, not completely unfounded, but where that can take us uh, can, can get pretty weird. Mm-hmm. Mistrust of big pharma, totally founded. You know, they, the big pharma doesn't have a great track record in a lot of ways, um, but that can take us to some places where it's like, okay, we're, we, we might be outside of what's correct. Uh, we might be outside of truth. We might be outside of God's will here. And so it starts with a, a valid mistrust, but but there are people who are very good at at playing on the on those fears and on those um, concerns and on that mistrust to to get you to believe something that uh, that just isn't true. Mistrust in the media is another big one too. Oh yeah, I, didn't, um, I can't believe I didn't mention media. Yeah, that's it's like, like the biggest one. That's like the one that we hear the most about and was probably front and center in this last election cycle and throughout the last year when it comes to COVID. Uh, and that's, again, not entirely unfounded, right? The media has proven to be uh, biased and every media source is biased and some of them don't recognize it or identify it. This is a big conversation that I'm not going to get into all right. of it. But the reality is the fear of being misled or lied to by the media le- leads us to not trusting any sources of information or any big sources of information that are we don't trust them just because they're they're big or just because they have gone through like the process of credibility and establishing claims, et cetera, all of that. Yeah. Uh, We don't trust them because of that now, which Mm -hmm. is a really strange place to be and leaves us quite vulnerable to believing anything. I think what we've seen is that people's fear of like, I'm not going to get duped by the, by big media. Mm -hmm. What it's led to in a large part is getting duped by small media. Right. People don't want, do not want to get their news from these big sources anymore. But then I'm seeing, especially during the pandemic, there was a lot of them spinning up, but I'm seeing people posting like a coronavirus truths.godaddy.com or whatever. And it's like, look, if, if you think that you have information that the world needs to know and you're going to save lives, pay the $9 a year for the domain. <laughs> Neither of those is, is the answer, right? Neither of those is going to get us to truth. I think what would be helpful for us to do is to walk through some... Uh, common statements of fear that we hear today and kind of just like dissect them or unpack them a little bit. Um, at least in the last, in the last election cycle in the last year, actually the last two election cycles, we, we, we would constantly hear if we don't win this election, we're going to lose our country leading us to believe that the stakes here are so high mm-hmm. that, um, and, and I think if we're, if we're honest, when we begin to unpack, what do we mean that we're going to lose our country and unpack some of these statements, uh, we, we re- recognize the hyperbole in some of these statements um, and how they're trying to elicit fear in us. So even the statement, we're going to lose our country, like, what does that mean? Like, are America's going to cease to exist? No, obviously. I might like my country less. I might like <laughs> it's it It's pretty much what it means. Yeah, it's going to yeah. look different. I mean, the stakes have never been higher. That's That feels like super common language. If you are a media personality or a media company or whatever, you want people to think the stakes are high. Mm-hmm. As soon as people think the stakes aren't high, they're, they're like, oh, just, well, you know, let me know when, <laughs> let me know when it's a big deal. It's like, hey, newsflash, it's a big deal all the time then because we need to sell ads. Yep. And the stakes do feel a little bit high right now. I agree. I think they, they're ratcheted down from what, how it felt six months ago. Yeah. But 
I think we have to be able to zoom out and say like, well, the Civil War was probably higher stakes. That was pretty bad too. World yeah. War One was probably higher stakes. World War Two was probably higher stakes. Um, the Revolution again. The, the yeah, the Revolution. Yeah, the Cold War. In the midst of it, yeah. there were some close calls, and there were some times that it felt like very high stakes. Yeah. Much civil, higher than now. Civil rights movement. Right? Civil rights movement. Huge one. So there's tons of there's tons of times in our country that have been higher stakes than right now. Okay. Uh, and we have to be aware of that. That is, it's fear-mongering. Mm-hmm. It is exactly what that is. Politicians do it. Uh, media folks do it. Uh, around religious liberty is one that we've... Um, I, it definitely got ramped up in the last year as well around COVID and churches not being able to gather. We definitely got a lot of heat about that um, when, we, um, when we decided to close our doors and, and go to online services for a while. But that's another one where it's, it's, it's one where Christians, it's very easy for us to get worked up. And I think to be clear, um, religious liberty is something that Christians should be concerned about. We should, one of the things, potentially one of the things we should care more about than almost anything else is our ability to be obedient to Jesus in our, in our country. Like if there's one thing that we should be willing to fight for is like, Hey, I want to be able to obey Jesus here. And I'll, I will vote for that. Like that is the platform that I will um, that I will care about and mm-hmm. and and try to do whatever whatever my part is to vote, etc. To make sure that I can continue to faithfully follow Jesus lawfully in my country. So that is something that we should care about. But the um, the the threat or the perceived threat of losing religious liberty sometimes I think causes us to go go to some pretty weird places. Yeah. And I think that fear drives us often to do things that are contrary to the way of Jesus or compromise our values or not value character uh, in, in the political sphere, in the personal sphere, in the influence sphere, whatever, as much as we should, because they can achieve the results that we want. Um, We were, we were pastors. We had planted the church uh, prior to the 2015 Obergefell Hodges decision, which legalized same sex marriage. And I remember the conversation leading up to that, many, many Christian leaders were suggesting that this was going to be the end of our, uh, of our religious liberty to uh, decide whom we would marry uh, as pastors, in this sense, and that we would be forced to perform same-sex marriages. Now, since then, we haven't had to. We, we haven't lost our religious liberty. Um, it, it was still a concern at the time. But it wasn't nearly as bad as many were trying to make us believe. And it's one of those things where we um, we kind of let our let our mind run, and it, it is it's sort of an an anxiety exercise. I think there were a lot of there were a lot of churches that had a lot spent a lot of time and even resources doing things like hiring consultants to rework their bylaws and all of these different things to protect them from this threat that they perceived was coming. And looking back at it, it's a little bit interesting because like, if you're getting married today, you can get married at the courthouse. You can get married at like a wedding venue that isn't a church. Mm-hmm. You can get married at a at a gay affirming church, or you can get married at a church that is not gay affirming, right? And I've got to think that most gay people are going to choose one of the other three that isn't a church that doesn't affirm my relationship. Right. We actually just kind of like crunch the numbers on it. You're like, this actually isn't that likely. Right. But um, but we did like we had fights and we hired uh, consultants and lawyers mm-hmm. preemptively. You know, a lot of that stuff happened. Yep. You know, I've had conversations with with churches that have gone through those processes, and I don't think that's necessarily going to be money well spent because I don't think people are necessarily going to be knocking on your door 
right. to get married at your church. And the Equality Act is coming up now, which um, is another one that uh, religious organizations are concerned about for, for good reasons. I'm not going to go into the details of it, but for good reasons. And again, I think as Christians, we can voice our, we should have our voice in the public square and in the public sphere, um, but it should never lead us to doing things that are contrary to the way of Christ. And, and again, when it comes to this, the language and the rhetoric around these things, we have to recognize where when fear mongering is taking place and when we are allowing fear to take us away from the trust in God. Yeah, and um, the Ann Campaign, which is a, an organization that uh, does, some, does some work at, at the intersection of faith and politics, um, that we like. We don't agree with everything that anyone from the end campaign ever says, but um, but we think that they bring some good uh, diversity of opinion around politics. And um, what they said about the Equality Act was really good in, in the sense that it's not really, it's not the best thing for, um, certainly not for churches, um, but it's really not what, what our country needs uh, is the Equality Act. And and um, and I thought their kind of, I thought their, their statement and their treatment of that was very good. They oppose, uh, they, also talked about what they would do instead as a, as a way of preserving religious liberty and also making sure that people aren't discriminated against. I thought there was some really good stuff there. So you guys can look that up if you'd like from the Ann campaign. But yeah, that's, a, that's a, obviously when we talk about um, a traditional sexual ethic that we, that we hold as a church, I think, we're, I think we see that there's going to be an increasing cultural tension there. There's going to be increasing cultural um, pressure probably. Uh, for churches like ours, um, but in terms of actual religious liberty, um, there isn't a lot of precedent to say that that the Supreme Court's going to go in that direction. Um, and again, that's something that uh, David French, a guy that we talk about a decent amount and like a lot, he talks about. Um, he kind of goes back through decisions that have been made in regards to religious liberty, and the court has been very much on the side of religious liberty. So, so that's something that we do. Uh, uh, feel pretty good about from mm-hmm. from that standpoint. Definitely something to watch closely and just keep our eye on. And, and as Christians, I think we should have our voice be heard in the public square again, but not going beyond the way of Jesus and not giving in to fear and thinking that this is, uh, the stakes have never been higher. This is the end all situation that we have to win because that leads us to being susceptible to lies and it leads us to doing things that are immoral, uh, quite frankly. But with with that, I want to skip over to COVID because I think yeah. what happened w- um, during COVID with the religious liberty thing is I think a lot of people, a lot of people talked about religious liberty, and it was sort of a way of, um, it was maybe a way of making uh, Christianizing what they were upset about. Mm-hmm. I don't think for a lot of people, I don't think religious uh, liberties was really at the heart of what they were upset about. Right? It had to do with what they personally were told they could and couldn't do. And people do not like being told what they can and can't do uh, in America, you know. And um, that's not always a bad thing, yeah. you know. But um, but I think when we talk about there was a lot of concern about gov- government overreach, and uh, and for Christians that extended to to their churches. And I think we were in a spot where it's like we felt like at times people um, people wanted us to open up and and kind of do the middle finger to the government. Um, and the reason they wanted us to do that is because they wanted to do it. You know, and so, and again, that comes back to a lot of that comes back to fear of what the government is doing. So I think the government and fear of the government. We talked already about how in uh, the evangelical world, there's a there is not a lot of trust for the government, and there's good cause for that at times. But again, in terms of religious liberty, 
Um, we don't think there's a ton to be extremely concerned about in terms of like, will things ever go back to normal after the pandemic? Um, I think there's some concern from people that like, Oh, what we'll never, we'll never be able to go to a sporting event without a mask again, or I'll have to verify that I got the vaccine to go to a bucks game or, or whatever. Um, it, you know, I think I, I, I guess I can't say that none of that's going to happen, but I think, I, what I've taught when I've had these conversations with people, what I try to encourage people to do is, as I say, like, I don't know that that's a healthy, um, theoretical to be playing through in your head right now. There's enough stuff stressing all of us out right now that we don't need to be, we don't need to be playing out like the theoreticals that we're sure are going to happen when in reality, we're not sure they're going to happen. And we don't need to be, um, probably participating in watching media that's, that, does a bunch of that as well of saying like, here's where this ends, like, you know, or, or where is this going? Mm-hmm. And that sort of always wanted to, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? And that consistent, um, that's feeding the fear and feeding your own anxiety and feeding your own, um, distrust. And, uh, it's sort of just like the self fulfilling mm-hmm. and self defeating thing. Right. Yeah. I think that's good. I think that's really helpful for us to think through how much are we just allowing fear to kind of overwhelm, are thinking and with hypotheticals. Um, and in this case, specifically when it comes to government overreach and COVID, which we've talked to death about um, why we approach things the way that we did as a church. Um, but one of the, one of the primary arguments that we've made all along is that this isn't a, it's not specifically isolated to religious institutions and organizations, right? Um, the NBA was shut down. <laughs> the major league baseball didn't have fans in the stadiums and, they right. did definitely affect uh, affect churches. A affected lot. everybody. Affected everybody. Though. Yeah, and and it, these mandates weren't specifically directed towards churches. If they were, that would have been much more problematic, and and that's where we would have uh, spoken out against it. For sure. The other thing we we told people all the time that one of the questions we would get is at what point? Yeah. Right. At what we'd say, the, okay, Pastor, I get it. I know you don't think we should go against the order yet, but at what point? You know, and um, it's not that we haven't thought about that at all, but it's really, it's a way of indulging anger and fear because now we're, we're talking about something that hasn't happened and now we're getting mad about something that hasn't happened and starting to assume that it's going to happen. And so we try to, in terms of what our government's doing and our, as a church, our relationship to it, we try to stay in the present and and focus on what we know in the present and then, and then look a little bit back and look at precedent and what's happened. Um, because, you know, like, let's not worry about tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's, this is not a time to worry about tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow has its own cares and worries. And, you know, what good does it do to spend a bunch of time getting anxious and getting upset and, uh, and projecting uh, in those sorts of scenarios? Because mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't know what tomorrow's going to look like, right. especially in this scenario. The only other one I, I want to bring up is the uh, where, where we see a lot of like fear producing rhetoric is around the immigration and refugee crisis. Um, oh, yeah. There's a lot of talk about people coming across the border as murderers and uh, people, refugees coming in from Middle Eastern countries to and, and they're terrorists coming in through through Syria, like when the Syrian crisis was really hot. Um, the statistics just don't back that up mm-hmm. in any way, shape, or form. I don't have the statistics in front of me, um, but if you read uh, Welcoming the Stranger. Matthew Sorens, yeah. He, he goes through all of the statistics on there, and it's it's largely fear-mongering, and the statistics just don't 
don't back up many of the claims that are being made. Yeah, and Matthew Sorens, we uh, did a Tough Topics conversation with him this past summer, and uh, we talked about we talked about um, immigrants and refugees and, and how fear-based rhetoric um, really clouds our, our judgment, especially for Christians, mm-hmm. uh, of, of how we should be thinking about the treatment um, of those individuals. I remember, actually, this was, a, this was a, a, a learning moment for me, and I don't remember the exact year that it was, but it was the same sort of thing where um, there was a ton of conservative rhetoric during the Obama administration about what was happening at our southern border and, and, and basically how immigrants were, oh, we're just letting everybody in, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, I, think I, I think I was a little bit, I don't think I, I never was like, oh, yeah, we're letting everybody in. But I just assumed, like, yeah, he's way, like, he's way um, softer on immigration. But in reality, it was just blatant. Blatant disinformation is right. what was actually happening. Mm-hmm. The W. Bush administration and the Obama administration had like pretty similar immigration policies. And um, as I dug into it more, I realized that uh, actually Obama got a lot of heat from progressives about his immigration policies in some cases. And so, why did I believe that? You know, I think that's a good question, and and um, one that I did spend some time on reflecting on once I once I had heard some different information and done some digging on my own and realizing like. Oh, this is a lie I kind of believed, right? Um, and why is that, you know? And so there is something to that that I think we can take away and say there are times that we believe we believe certain narratives around politics. Um, we've said before, uh, I don't know how many times between church and on this podcast and other videos we've done that media personalities don't actually they're they're not actually primarily interested in in communicating reality with us. Mm-hmm. That's not what they're there to do. Right. And so we have to, if we're going to, if we're going to listen to that stuff, we have to take that into account. This person isn't trying to tell me the truth right now. Mm-hmm. That's not what they're there to do. Um, and so I have to, <laughs> I have to keep that in mind. Should I be listening at all? Great question yep. <laughs> to someone who's not trying to communicate truth to you. But if you're gonna at least keep that in mind. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it's, but they will play on your fears. They will play on the areas where you think, um, that you fear a loss of security, mm-hmm. you fear a loss of group identity, you fear a loss of way of life, uh, financial security, um, physical safety, those things. When we when we have that gut reaction of fear to those things, um, we will do just about anything. We'll believe just about anything. We'll give our money. We will uh, we will do any number of things to make that fear and that feeling of 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 potential loss of security. Whatever we can do to make that go away, we're going to try to figure out and do because we want to get back to feeling comfortable. Yep. We want to get back to feeling safe. Yeah. We want to get back to feeling like I'm going to be able to keep doing the things. I like my life and I'm going to be able to keep it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- those things make us very susceptible. And when we, when we are susceptible to those things, we can get really, really far away from God's will. We can get really, really far away from just truth, from reality, but certainly away from God's will in, in terms of how we're supposed to think about others, about how we're supposed to engage with our world, how we're supposed to treat people, how we're supposed to talk to people. Um, fear is, fear and fear mongering, they get results. They just get results. So they're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, they will be a part of the rhetoric moving forward because they get results. And so we have to recognize that. We have to um, acknowledge that we have fear. 
and then um, learn and navigate and and trust God's spirit to guide us towards wisdom. Yeah. So it's not just a, like a misinformation or disinformation campaign. Um, it's not just fear mongering to get us to believe something that is not true. Like there is evil at work in deceiving us. Satan is the father of lies and his primary uh, work in the world is to deceive and to lie and and it's subtle deceptions that lead us to believe things that are not true. And I believe he is quite skilled at using fear to get us to uh, believe these lies and things that aren't true. So we must focus on the truth and find true, good information. The next thing that helps me a ton is history. Like looking, looking back at the history of the church, like the first 300 years of the church, especially when the church was a small minority movement in the Roman world, where they were persecuted, they had no rights, they had no religious liberties to speak of, and the church thrived in that time. And how even in the midst of persecution, in some ways that can be good for the church. Now, of course, I'm not saying that I want to go through persecution. I of don't want not. to. I, I would I would use my vote and my voice as an American citizen so that we do not go through um, persecution. But at the end of the day, if our utmost value is the kingdom of God and God's kingdom moving forward, we can have full confidence that his kingdom will move forward and that value we will see come to fruition. That is where our value is placed, right? Uh, no matter whether we maintain our religious liberties, our, our influence in society, in the public square or not, that God's kingdom will continue to move forward. So we must cherish that and seek God's kingdom above all else. And then I, I think we can find safety and security and eliminating a lot of these fears that are so that that are people are trying to convince us of and to get us to believe. Yeah, and ultimately, I um, I totally agree. I think the at the risk of being a little cheesy right now, <laughs> yeah. right um, when when it comes to politics, when we when we comes to our world feeling tumultuous, um, Christians tend to say that uh, God is still on His throne. Um. So after an election, if you if you don't like <laughs> if you don't like who won, you can say it's okay. God's still on His throne, or if you do like who won, you can be like, well, you know, it's God's will. He's sovereign and He's still on His throne. Either way, you can say it, right? But you know, uh, some some cheesy applications aside, it is it is the thing that I think we should sort of hang our hat on as Christians at the end of the day. If um, if we lose rights in our country as Christians. God will still be on his throne. His church is still going to thrive and continue, and it will be thriving somewhere if it's not here in America. And it is now. Mm-hmm. Where the church is thriving now is not in America. Absolutely, It's other places. Yeah. It's places with less comfort. It's places with certainly less religious liberty. That's where the church is thriving now. Mm-hmm. Um, if LifeBridge Church can no longer meet uh, all together in a building on Sunday mornings, which we hope never happens, but God would still be on his throne and his church would still be moving the kingdom forward in our world. And uh, so we trust that God is bringing his kingdom and that um, he's calling us to participate in that. Right now, we can do just about all of that within the confines of of the law in our country right now. Um, right now there's not a lot that stands in our way of, of doing that, at least in terms of things that we need to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. But if that changes, 
It's not going to slow God down. It might make our lives less comfortable. It might make our lives harder. But as Christians, um, we're called to something higher than that. And so, and so as we as we close these conversations on wisdom, as we kind of wrap this, uh, we're talking about fear today, um, entrenchment and defensiveness, uh, where where we where we allow influence in our lives, um, bad faith discovery, which is basically willful willful avoidance of of letting your mind be changed by new information and by truth, tribalism, Christian nationalism, theology. There's some real um, there's some real hangups there. And honestly, for the American church, there's some real idols in there. And they're idols that keep us from worship of God. They keep us from the will of God. Uh, and they keep us from truth. And so we should be asking the Spirit to help us identify and root those things out of our life so that we can live lives of faithful engagement with our world, faithful engagement with our neighbor, and uh, faithful communion with God. Amen. With that, we're going to wrap this Regaining Wisdom series, and we'll be back with more conversations later.